Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to make you all aware of a new higher education CRM that I've recently come to know that I think many of you will be very, very interested in. Um, and the best way to actually describe what the really the power of this CRM is to use an experience disruption analogy. So if you listened to one or more of our podcasts, you've probably heard me at some point talk about experience disruption. And one of the best ways to explain what experience experience disruption is, is to think about Uber's relationship with the traditional taxi industry, right? So from a product standpoint, Uber and your traditional classic yellow taxi cab aren't objectively different, right? They're both going to get you from point A to point B. But the difference with Uber is all in the experience. You can pop up your phone while you're at the bar finishing up your drink and request a car. The car will pull up and it'll take you exactly where you need to go. It's, it's an experience with very, very little friction, and that's why Uber wins. So similarly, Verity CRM is a CRM that acts more like an Uber and less like a traditional higher education CRM, which acts a little bit more like a taxi. So Verity delivers the industry's easiest way to communicate with perspective existing, and former students. They have a powerful built-in contact center that facilitates effective communication via multiple contact paths, which really allows university departments to focus on high-value conversations that lead to higher retention, greater conversions, and more effective job placement. The CRM is not just really, really powerful. The interface is beautiful, and it's, it's really fun to kind of play around with and build content in. It's super, super, super easy to do. So it's got like the powerful robustness of like a slate, but the easy to use functionality of like a HubSpot. And it's a higher education CRM that's built exclusively for enrollment managers and um, enrollment marketing teams. So if you want to learn more about Verity and you want to understand more about how this product is disrupting the higher education CRM experience space, head on over to verityiq.com. That's verityiq.com forward slash Enrollify to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. Um, I hope you all are doing well, preparing for the holidays. Hopefully things are not too stressful. Um, really excited to bring you this month's edition of Second Look. And I've got Matthew here on the other line. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate you having me here. Yes, yes. Um, and since we transitioned a second look to a monthly segment on the core show, um, Matt and I don't get to talk as much, which is which is sad. Um, we gotta <laughs> we gotta make that happen a little bit more. So we were just catching up and talking about the holidays and trying to figure out travel and um, you know all the all the headache that everyone else is dealing with right now. The Enrollify team is is right there with you. Lots of hard decisions to make about uh, what to do. Uh, during this this special time of year. Um, but with all of that said, we are excited to bring you the very last podcast, the very last Enrollify podcast of 2020. And that's going to be this second look edition. So 
really hard to believe. Um, it's been quite the year. I think this will be podcast number 70 for the year. Wow. So, um, so yeah, thank you all for, uh, listening to my, my voice, uh, every week. Hopefully I have, um, hopefully I've done enough to, to prove that, um, you know, I'm at least somewhat worth listening to. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, we're excited. We've got a lot in store for 2021. So um, don't go anywhere. Lots of very, very exciting things coming down the pipeline and announcements that will be made soon. Um, but with that said, second look is the podcast segment where we aggregate and highlight the top trends that we feature in Enrollify's weekly newsletter, The Minute. And Matthew is actually the managing editor of The Minute. He's going to be... Um, moving into a, a new role within our team soon. So he uh, will not be the managing editor of the minute much longer, which is also uh, sad, but um, exciting at the same time. It's been a long time coming. Um, but for now, uh, he's here to help us un- unpack and discuss some of the most important trends um, over the past month that enrollment marketers need to be paying attention to. So with all of that said, Matthew, you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it, Zach. Okay, cool. Well, a new market research report that was actually conducted by Simpson Scarborough and LinkedIn revealed that new uh, revealed actually a lot of new data on prospective adult students. So the adult learner population is obviously a market that a lot of schools are interested in tapping into. There's about 70 plus million people that kind of fall into this category. Um, and some really interesting uh, findings in light of sort of everything happening with COVID that this report uncovered. So Matt, can you just take us through a couple of the key findings that you found uh, especially interesting? Absolutely. So just take everything with a small grain of salt here. It's probably about a week or two uh, now since that report came out. But according to the study, about one in two adult learners said that their interest in pursuing additional education actually increased amid COVID-19. And eight out of 10 adult learners became interested in pursuing online education in, in general. Um, two out of three respondents are actively considering higher education and one in two has plans to enroll within six months. Uh, wow. Now it's probably looking more like, you know, five, four months since that report came out. Um, but in other good news, prospective student interest is high for all types and all styles of programs. Those four credit courses, four credit certificates, masters, professional doctoral programs, non-credit courses and associate's degree programs uh, in total. Survey respondents also noted that affordability, flexible work-life school balance, and high-quality online learning were the three most important factors in their decisions. Hmm. And the adult learner audience in particular is moving through the prospective student funnel pretty quickly. Uh, I mentioned that six-month stat there. They're looking to make a decision in the near future. So I think enrollment marketers that can adapt their value propositions and differentiators in the context of the COVID-19 world to appeal to this wave of fast-moving adult learners will be primed for success. Yeah, this was uh, really, really interesting. And, um, you know, a big question mark for so many people um, in higher ed has been, you know, historically speaking, anytime there is an a crisis of, of any kind economically, um, typically at the graduate level, at least you see sort of an uptick in interest in um, pursuing a uh, an advanced degree. But there's been this big question mark on, okay, you know, we've never seen uh, economic crash, or it's been, you know, a long time since we've seen an economic crash coupled with a global pandemic. Uh, how will that change? Um, will, you know, will we still see trends of students kind of reverting to uh, the pursuit of graduate school? or um, will that trend not hold? And um, 
this report, along with several others, seems to suggest that it does hold. Um, and in fact, right. given sort of the, the flexibility of many uh, workplaces right now, um, this could also be another interesting opportunity for especially graduate enrollment marketers that are looking for how do you, you know, uh, promote your hybrid programs, your online uh, degree completion programs, um, whatever it might be in, in a world where people do have a little bit more flexibility on like when they work and where they work from um, could be a very, very interesting um, opportunity for for gem professionals to take advantage of. So uh, lots of uh, interesting stuff there. If you are somebody who has like a particularly interesting case study or story here please reach out to us and we'd love to we'd love to talk to you to kind of see what what this what these you know macro trends actually look like on the ground um okay next uh this one was really interesting matt and uh i I i'd love your kind of uh, additional thoughts here um as you have them but uh, gamification is sort of this use of game elements, you know, points, rules, competition uh, to encourage engagement with a company's products or services. It's often used to, you know, transform difficult tasks like job search or research or applying to school into games that are seen as, you know, a, a fun, something fun, um, uh, you know, along the way. So you featured a piece in the minute recently with some ideas for how gamification might be used for student recruitment. Can you share a couple of these examples with us and um, just you yeah. know, speak off the cuff of, of anything else that you might have seen that has been particularly interesting? Totally. So this was uh, an article that came from Kaler Solutions. And as, as they put it, quote, gamification creates a perception of the company as enjoyable and fun. So, you know, how much gamification to play to enrollment marketers? Um, I think it can be used at the application stage, no doubt, you know, assigning badges, points for submitting financial aid, transcripts, essays, et cetera. But I think it's also applicable in the pre-application and inquiry stages hmm. through the use of things like surveys, quizzes, trivia, events, and even your own marketing content. You could create a game that assigns points to conversions that are crucial to your recruitment efforts. You know, like attend an event, earn 100 points, download an ebook, earn 10 points. And you can incentivize these conversions by sending school swag, you know, allowing prospective students to attend a sample class, for example, for free, or even sending an application fee waiver once a certain point threshold has been reached. And Zach, I'll tell you, I actually had a conversation with a school that I work pretty closely with, uh, and they they wanted to take full advantage of this gamification after they read this little segment in the minute. So huh, no way. Uh, I'm curious to see how they'll implement it and how it'll work. But if they're able to implement it, especially at that sort of pre-application inquiry stage, uh, that'd be super, something super cool and pretty novel, I think, uh, for them to try out. Yeah, yeah, that'll be really interesting to watch. And, um, you know, and one of the things that I, I thought about, too, here is there's this awesome um, uh, good friend of Enrollify's um, and their their app is called Zimi. Zimi is the company and, and it's, it is an app um, and it's really a social network for prospective college students. And there's awesome you know communities within within the app, lots of conversation amongst uh, prospective students around like where they're going to apply and you know which schools are sort of on their, their top 10 list, et cetera. There's support offered for, hey, will you review my college application? Will you you know review my essays? Um, it's a very sort of like a collaborative app. Um, anyways, when I first read this article, I thought, you know, this would be uh, something to layer um, that that I think would be layered uh, very neatly on top of something like a Zimi, where you're, right. there's already this exchange of like, hey, like, are you where are you applying? Or hey, you know, have you have you submitted your inquiry form here? Um, and being able to like have some sort of add on 
um, for Zimi partners where you can essentially, you know, incentivize students to inquire and then, you know, actually submit applications and have the the partner schools reward them in, in some way, shape or form kind of through the, the, the Zimi uh, uh, network. So anyways, um, for any uh, listeners who might be using Zimi, it'd be really interesting to pitch this to uh, to the the people over there as a as a possible add on. But yeah, I think that there's a lot here. Um, I do think that there's sort of a sensitivity in in the market, um, especially amongst leadership about okay, uh, uh, the the gamifying of education, especially nonprofit education. How do we feel about that? Um, you know, there's definitely been skepticism over offering like Amazon gift cards in exchange for coming to like a graduated missions event of some kind. So um, I think it needs to be uh, done carefully and and intelligently, but definitely a strategy worth uh, pursuing, especially um, in a in a very, you know, in, you know, in a digital admissions world where we're not going to get the benefits of lots of um, college fairs and in-person events. Uh, I'd say that any sort of strategy is at least worth uh, seriously considering um, for ways to generate interest and ultimately accelerate a prospective student's journey through enrollment. So lots of good stuff there, Matt. Um, okay, so let's talk about Google and SEO specifically. So it's no secret that Google search results are different depending on your location. So right now I'm in Charleston, Matt, and if I'm looking for a steakhouse, um, this is a silly example, but if I'm looking for a steakhouse <laughs> near me um, or even like top steakhouses, right? Uh, and I don't say near me, I don't use any sort of geographic term. My results are going to be different than uh, the results that you get uh, over in Reston, Virginia. So um, this is not new news. Uh, most most people are aware of this, um, you know, but it's really important, I think, for enrollment marketers in particular to understand how Google search results can differ pretty dramatically depending on um, where a user is and how that will affect sort of how your content ranks and where it where it's visible. Um, most colleges and universities are not just recruiting from students with uh, just recruiting students from within their their state, right? Many are um, even sort of the tri-state area, especially if you're a private institution, you're you're recruiting from all over the world. So how can enrollment marketers go about thinking a little bit more critically about how they how they um, are ranking uh, in different locations? Are, are there any tools or resources folks can tap into to get just maybe even a 30,000 foot overview on how they're ranking from different places? Absolutely. So in a recent article we featured in the minute, uh, this company called SEO Power Suite explains how to use Google's tool settings, location queries, and even Google ads to view search results across different locations. And we can add that link in the show notes for sure. But, you know, the example here, there's, for example, a small Christian school in Boston, they might have a really strong prospective student audience in Massachusetts, but also in Pennsylvania and Ohio. So as an enrollment marketer at that school, you know, you should be aware of how your content and program pages are ranking in Pennsylvania and Ohio on top of locally in Massachusetts. Yeah. I think learning how to analyze search results in other states' locations might not be well known by enrollment marketers, um, but with these tools, they can identify those SEO gaps in those locations that are especially important for meeting their recruitment goals at the end of the year. You know, Google already comes standard with serving up results based on your IP address or the information based on where you are located and how you're accessing the internet um, geographically. but 
needless to say, there's plenty of content you can put out there that will not only rank locally for you, but just in general across all states, across all regions, uh, if it's not specifically tailored to a particular location. Um, so I think there's a great opportunity for the more general content uh, put out by schools and enrollment marketers to reach beyond just their uh, you know, real niche geographic locale yeah. out their front door. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a good place for folks to start that are like, oh, no, like I have to now go look at, you know, every possible state that we're recruiting from and assess sort of how we're, you know, how our, our program content in particular is ranking in these various locations. I think a good place to start is, you know, find the top three places, um, the, the top, whether that's, you know, probably states, at least right now, um, could mm -hmm. be countries depending on the institution, but find the top three uh, countries where, excuse me, states where you're already generating sort of like the most traffic to your domain, um, which probably has uh, some correlation to the number of inquiries and apps you're generating from those places and look up how you're ranking for specific terms in just those three spots. Um, just start there. Um, and um, if, if you're working with a, a partner for your SEO or partner uh, for, for really any sort of uh, digital marketing uh, marketing effort, make sure that they're also like looking into this and cognizant of um, how your content um, is is ranking in in different places, because that's um, going to be incredibly important, um, not just for, you know, the short term, but also for for long term as you as as you seek to grow your institution, um, your institution's domains, overall sort of domain authority, um, and whatnot. So Love this and think it's very, very important for folks to to be aware of. And again, start with the three places where you're already generating a lot of traffic from um, and then go from there. Okay, so average click-through rates for banner ads are around 0.2%. And several analyses over the last couple of years have suggested that the majority of these clicks, the majority of clicks on sort of any sort of, you know, flashy banner advertising are, are actually accidental. Um, but Contently, who is a, you know, a great thought leader in, in the space, lots of good, good content coming out of Contently. Um, they, they said that uh, banner ads and other ads on prime website real estate actually still do serve a purpose, especially if you use them to actually plug and, and promote your own content and your own offer. So Matt, how should enrollment marketers, again, most of them probably are not, um, you know, don't don't have too many affiliate uh, partnerships or aren't trying to uh, monetize their their website with ads. But um, I think that this is, is important for folks that are using any sort of display advertising or any other sort of banner advertising across um, different networks like the Google Display Network and others. Uh, I think some of the same principles still apply here. But how should enrollment marketers go about kind of rethinking their website real estate, especially with respect to Contently's ideas around how to kind of promote yourself, promote other aspects of yourself kind of throughout your, your core site pages. Absolutely. So I'll give you a little example that Contently put out. So they, they claim that they increased webinar registration by 45% by using their own website's prime advertising real estate to promote the, the upcoming webinar that they had. Uh, and this included a banner ad at the, or excuse me, a banner placement at the top of their page and a vertical banner in sort of the right margin of their blog pages. So hmm. the, these are spots that are nine out of 10 times ads on typical websites, but they reuse that prime space to, like you mentioned, plug their own content. Uh, and so I think enrollment marketers can do something similar here too. You know, prospective students are, are likely accustomed to seeing ads in those typical ad placement areas in the banners, the tops and sides of pages. 
But by plugging in your own branded ebook or guide or even your upcoming event into those spots, I think enrollment marketers, they might be able to increase conversions on relevant offers just because prospective students are attuned almost in the periphery. They're just accustomed to having ad placements there. But if you actually plug in content that's relevant to them, um, they might actually be more inclined to click on it. Yep. I love this, um, this idea and this concept, uh, which isn't, you know, fantastically new per se, but um, the idea of what we like to call in, in our kind of space and on our team, uh, increasing content pathways um, and ensuring that, you know, the webinar that you're hosting for recruitment or the app fee waiver that you all have just launched, ensuring that that's not just placed in like one place on the website, or it's just not, you know, all of a sudden, sort of like a global banner, a global like pop up that, you know, after being on any page for 10 or more seconds, you're kind of hit with this light box. Um, those things can be uh, successful in and of themselves. But I really think that there's a lot of room for improvement on university websites to think critically about increasing content pathways, increasing different promotions and offers to um, event content, uh, downloadable premium content in multiple places across the website. So I think that this is a, a good thing to do, especially at the end of the year is to kind of go and uh, even if you only have control over a subset of pages associated with your domain, just go ahead and audit your pages. Think about sort of like the events, um, any and any other sort of offers that are coming early in uh, in twenty twenty one, maybe the first six months, and think about how do you be intentional about uh, creating promotions throughout the site um, that direct people to that event. One of the things that we also you know recently found um, from an organic search standpoint is a lot of college and universities like about us pages or like contact us pages end up ranking really well um, on Google. And so, you know, one sort of just kind of quick hack here is um, go run your website, uh, at least, you know, a, a subset of your website through a tool like SEMrush to get a better understanding of what pages you are uh, that are, you know, ranking highly from an organic standpoint um, around, you know, specific keywords and search terms, and then go ahead and throw these sorts of offers on those pages um, and see how that kind of affects your uh, your conversion um, and, and click through rate from those from those ads. So really good stuff here. Um, you know, this uh, this is an idea that just about anyone can do and, and do fairly easily. So hopefully that's helpful uh, to you all. Okay, so speaking of just uh, any sort of uh, speaking of digital advertising and, and whatnot, I want to talk about ad frequency, which was another topic, Matt, that you covered that I thought was like a, a really good sort of reminder for folks, especially because a lot of enrollment marketers, whether they're working with an agency or they're you know doing this in-house, they tend to spend all this time and effort coming up with good creative and good copy for an ad. They throw it out there um, and then it's like the same ad for the next six months, right? Promoting that <laughs> right. offer or promoting their app page or their inquiry form or whatever it might be. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about um, how much exposure is ideal? Um, you know, when, at what point are does does ad fatigue come in? Um, Facebook did a recent analysis of this, and I'm just curious to know what those what those findings were. Yeah, you know, there's so many things that you can tinker with from an ad standpoint. There's so many different things you can test and and just play with on ads. And frequency actually wasn't one of the things that I had ever really considered in the past until reading this Facebook analysis and. What they did was they looked at 2,400 or so ad campaigns on this platform, and they wanted to determine what the ideal frequency of ad impressions 
is in order to generate the highest ad engagement. And what it concluded was that after five or six impressions per person, engagement actually starts to taper off with each additional ad exposure. Hmm. So the more prospective student is exposed to your Facebook ads, the better, but to a certain extent. After five or six impressions, results like link clicks, landing page views, and lead ad form submissions will actually start to decline. So, you know, I've actually seen a lot of ads run recently and campaigns run, and the frequency of those ads is actually only about one to two, meaning yeah. prospective students only seeing that ad one to two times, which according to Facebook is actually pretty low. So I, I wouldn't necessarily stop an ad campaign for poor initial performance. Instead, look to see how much, how many impressions it's been generating per person and realize that it might take more like five to six ad impressions rather than one to two per prospective student before their desired action is taken, before that conversion actually occurs. And just a reminder for those who might not know how to calculate frequency, there's actually a, a frequency column on your ad campaigns in Facebook that'll tell you exactly how often someone is viewing your ad. I love that. Um, and I think that that little uh, framework and benchmark you just threw out was was super, super helpful. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, folks will take that home. And I even just think like, to um in in my own sort of like consumer behavior there's oftentimes i'll see an ad uh for a company or for you know promoting a specific product or or a content subscription i'm like oh yeah like i've been meaning to check that out right and right. i might click through it um and then i get distracted or whatever um and i'm almost like expecting that okay they'll just hit me again at some point um and so i think that this is just a a really important reminder for schools um, to be aware of, 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 you know, hey, it might take five or six times or, you know, four or at least four or five times before you see sort of a, a student convert um, and test this. Like, you know, do a campaign where you're hitting people four to five times um, with the same ad and then, uh, you know, cross that with a with another campaign where you're only sh where you're swapping out a new, you know, uh, replacing creative for, for new creative um, after, you know, one to two um, uh, frequencies. Um, of, 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 of exposure. So I think that there's a lot to be, as you mentioned earlier, Matt, kind of tested here, um, but super interesting data coming out of, of the juggernaut of digital advertising themselves. So when Facebook publishes a, a report on ad performance, it's, it's always worth paying attention to. Um, yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Speaking of uh, social media giants, um, Twitter recently announced its launch of carousel ads, um, which are ads of two to six images um, or videos, for that matter, that allow the user to horizontally swipe to consume the ad's content. Matt, how, if at all, are these ads different from the carousel ads on, on Facebook? Yeah, no shocker here that Twitter is looking to catch up with Facebook in terms of the available ad types that someone can run on its platform. But on top of Twitter's sort of typical ad performance metrics, they now feature new metrics like carousel swipes, so how many times a user swiped on an ad, and then individual carousel card performance, which neither of those are really metrics that Facebook reports on. Uh, so that's a little bit different there. And while it's testing this new ad type, these new carousel ads, Twitter claims that it saw an average of a 15% increase in click-through rates when compared to single asset ads on its platform. So for schools using Twitter as an advertising channel at the moment, the biggest benefit to carousel ads is really the ability to feature several assets within a single ad. 
so that users can easily transition through different courses, majors, and educational content offerings, and really garner insights into the ad creative and copy combinations that yield the greatest ROI. Yeah, I think that this is uh, will be very interesting to to watch, especially again for our friends um, at the graduate level. Um, Twitter, I feel like, is sort of this this like box, um, this like black box when it comes to uh, advertising <laughs> because like I know there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time on Twitter, um, you know, myself included, and you know the the audience there does seem sort of like prime for uh, graduate education um and yet it, it's interesting because you don't see many case studies um and include you know just speaking very candidly too about the work that we do we don't spend a lot of time and money for our clients on on twitter we don't. Um, and so it's really interesting to, to uh, as Twitter continues to invest in its ad platform, to maybe start running some tests. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they've historically been known as a platform that was pretty sterile when it came to its ad, ad offerings. And so with the addition of carousel ads, maybe this is a good time to set a little bit of budget aside for 2021 to begin testing on Twitter and see whether or not um, your audience is, in fact, there. And maybe it was I know personally. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know personally, Zach. On on Facebook, when I run those carousel ads, they they definitely outperform those single ad, single asset ads. You know, nine out of ten times. And I feel like on Twitter, why wouldn't it be the same? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like you said, even though Twitter might be a little raw from an advertising standpoint, this ad type really does beat out the single asset ad type um, more often than not. So, I think with this new ad type, there's even more reason to at least test the waters with it. Yeah. I mean, in general, too, what I love about this is like you're you're just giving you know the prospective uh, consumer, uh, the prospective customer, in this case, the prospective student, just like more choice, right? Like right. you you are you are have you have more opportunity to convince them that what you have behind the curtain is worth it, um, and that initial kind of messaging that you come up with or the initial creative in that first ad, you might think is the best thing since sliced bread. It might have won every other previous sort of like A-B test, um, but it's still only one offer. Like it's one featured image and it's one, you know, uh, a headline copy. Um, this immediately just gives you more real estate to play with. Um, exactly. And it just would, uh, yeah. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense that you'd see an increase in conversion um, and engagement with those ad types just because you have more real estate to play with. So, um Love that. Again, if you are listening and you are you have some successful case studies on Twitter advertising um, and or are planning on investing more budget in Twitter in 2021, please reach out and we'd love to talk to you. Um, okay, another uh, topic uh, in sort of the social media juggernaut kind of space, uh, but this time we're talking about acquisitions. This was actually really shocking when I saw this uh, news break on Twitter um, uh, about the fact that Facebook had acquired a customer, I was pretty surprised because, you know, customer in, in a nutshell is, is like a CRM. It's, it's a startup in the customer service industry. That's focused primarily on providing centralized data on the users and customers and the company in question based on their previous social media and other channel interactions. So essentially customer as a product was like this one-stop shop where as a brand, you could get an understanding of, everything, every digital interaction that Zach or, or Matthew had with you. Um, and so, you know, this, again, is is sort of surprising because um, Facebook 
this is the first time Facebook has acquired a company like this. So um, I'm curious, Matt, what you think uh, enrollment marketers should be paying attention to here. Yeah, so I'll preface my response by saying, Zach, I'm sure you've had this experience, but you, you're sitting in an airport and you see that your flight has gotten canceled or delayed. So you quickly hop onto Twitter to put a somewhat angry tweet out there to the company, <laughs> pretty much now expecting nowadays that some sort of customer service rep will ask you to start a conversation in your DMs, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people are resolving complaints or issues with companies over social media these days. And I think these companies are taking notice. And I think they're, you know, these social media platforms, they're becoming more or less the key channels for customers to communicate with businesses from asking not only simple questions, but to, you know, resolving complaints about products and services. And I think that's really why Facebook is getting into this game here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the play for enrollment marketers, you know, if they have programs that receive several inquiries and questions on Facebook every day, it might be interesting to see how a new customer service related feature could work. I don't think anyone really knows what new features will arise from this acquisition of customer, um, but many speculate that there could be some sort of a contact timeline that allows businesses or schools in this case and their Facebook page admins to see a running list of the mentions, the comments and interactions that an individual or prospective student has had with your school on social media. That way you, you go into the conversation having uh, an overall view of, you know, how they felt about your school, what what sort of issues they've had uh, in communications in the past and kind of see that all on one timeline directly in Facebook. Yeah, now this is going to be very, very interesting, especially if, um, you know, we'll be curious to see how Facebook spins this as a product, but if, if they're going to like integrate uh, communications with other social networks, um, within sort of whatever customer becomes. Um, I'm sure that that won't happen immediately, but um, being able to empower enrollment managers, especially on, I mean, we were talking about like existing students or, or like alumni, but thinking about uh, prospective students as well, like understanding, oh, wow, hey, this person that came to our event, but hasn't responded to any of our follow-up communications, reached out on Instagram and DM'd right. us, right? Like that kind of feedback or, hey, you know, they, they you know, responded, they retweeted something that we said about like a, uh, a discount, an upcoming discount on our application um, fee waiver or whatever it might be, right? And like being able to like note that and empower enrollment managers with like that information as they're determining how to spend their day and who they should be talking to, that's huge. Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see sort of like how this is exactly rolled out, but um, the, you know, absolutely worth paying attention to. So glad you glad you uh, you got that one in there. Um, all right. We've spent we spent a lot of time talking about social media, and we're gonna keep the ball rolling here. <laughs> um, uh, this this uh, this next uh, uh, trend um, uh, was actually from Target X, and they found out in a recent study that they did that fifty eight percent of prospective students actually use social media to research the schools that they're considering. So. Um, you know, that speaks for itself. I don't know that that's particularly shocking, but I remember just a year ago, maybe it was a couple years ago now, that number was closest, closer, excuse me, to like 38%. Um, and even then it was like, wow, like 38% of students are like looking at social media to research the schools that they're considering. And now that's, you know, well past, um, you know, half of all students. So, uh, Matt, any other interesting stats that you found from this report? 
Yeah, so in the report, 17% of respondents said that social media is extremely influential to their decision, and 61% said that they are at least somewhat influenced by uh, social media in their school search. Wow. So, it's yeah, it's obvious. With over half of all prospective students taking to social media uh, in some way, shape, or form to learn more about their future school, it's crucial to share those visual snippets of student life, campus, academics, you know, school pride, clubs, any features about your school that make it unique. And it's also important to note how social media is used at different points in the prospective student's journey. And this is what I found the most shocking was when deciding on where to apply, a college's Instagram feed, the Instagram feed of other students at the college, and the college's page on LinkedIn were actually the most influential social media accounts, according to TargetX's report, uh, in that prospective student's decision-making process. I, I really wouldn't have guessed that Instagram and a, com- a college's LinkedIn page yeah. on top of other students' pages at that school would, would have been the three top uh, yeah, accounts, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. And, um, I, you know, I, when I think about, like, LinkedIn college pages, I feel like that was, like, huge, like, five years ago. Like, there was, like, right. this big, you know, <laughs> university pages was, like, this new cool thing. And schools were like, oh, my gosh, we got to do this and optimize it, blah, blah, blah. But I haven't heard anything um, about them uh, since. And I, I spend a, a lot of time on LinkedIn. And, I, I, you know, I know that they, you know, exist. And I've seen some schools like Texas A&M actually does a really good job um, with their page. But, you know, hey, let this be a lesson for folks that are wondering, hey, do we need to double down on that investment? Do we need to keep that page updated? Um, you know, how do we better leverage that page? According to the study, it's it's worth paying some attention to. So, yep. uh, and, you know, in the Instagram thing, um, is less uh, surprising to me just because of the the demographic of students here, and most of uh, you know these Gen Zers aren't on Facebook. Um, but what's interesting, I think, to note is uh, a college Insta- a college's Instagram feed. So like these are you've got to find a way to create content that's like worthy enough to eventually show up on uh, a prospective student's like feed, and that typically means that that content has to be entertaining and engaging and whatnot. So I think a big challenge for college social media managers is going to be how do you create really, really great content that engages this next generation of, of users? Because you, you just you can't you, you can't create content on the same way on Instagram that you can on Facebook. So be, we'll right. be very, very interested to see sort of like how schools adapt here. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of room, and I think that there, you know, there are a couple of players like University of Michigan is really known um, for their for their Instagram um, following and just the the great work that they do there. But I feel like that the chasm is like very wide between like a couple of schools like University of Michigan that are doing it really well and everybody else. So um, again, I, I think that this is a trend that suggests if you're not already doing so, plan to spend more time and more money allocate more human capital to investing in your Instagram strategy in 2021. Absolutely. All right. We've got a few more to crank through here. Um, So Matt, uh, many marketers are putting more effort into blogging as a way to build their thought leadership, uh, share expertise with, uh, with prospective students, Um, you know, and um, oh, I'm just, I'm sorry. I think I jumped ahead here. Um, where are we? Ah, here we go. Sorry, Matt and I have uh, some some notes that we're that we're uh, speaking off of. Um, no worries. But uh, but uh, I'd love to just talk about sort of blogging, right? So it's almost 2021, and you know, despite what um, many 
of us, even maybe some of our listeners are are thinking, uh, blogging is more popular than ever before. In fact, a staggering four and a half million blog posts are still published every day. But there's wow. been a lot of questions around sort of like, what is the value and impact of regular blogging as uh, anyone that does regular blogging knows it's a lot of freaking work. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah. Matt, can you just shed some light on uh, why this might be uh, uh, particularly um, uh, useful for folks to kind of rethink their blogging strategy? How are folks still uh, that, that are successful? How are they yielding results from their blogging strategy? Um, what should folks be thinking about when they consider sort of what their content creation efforts with respect to writing articles should look like in 2021. Absolutely. So the article that we're referencing here is, is a one from HubSpot, and it really talks about the main reasons why blogs actually fail today. Um, and it starts by saying, if you're unable to tell if your blog delivers value to people, or you're unable to tell if it's delivering good results, then it's probably delivering disappointing results and your blog could be failing altogether. Uh, and HubSpot claims that it could be failing for one of the following reasons. One could be that there's no succinct content strategy. Another could be that blog posts are not optimized for SEO. Another could be just poor blog design in general. And the last could be infrequent posting. So, you know, I think if you're revisiting blogging as a whole in 2021 and you're looking for quick wins to get your school's blog out of one of these potential pitfalls, I would consider performing plenty of keyword research before writing your next post. Even if you don't have a full content strategy, helping keyword research can really kind of help fill in those gaps, um, which might arise out of not having a succinct content strategy, I would definitely suggest you have one. Um, but keyword research can definitely help for starters. And then also adding things like images and videos throughout your article. Those are super simple tips, but the more visuals, the more engaging your, your blog article. And then lastly, you know, stick to maintaining a more strict blog publishing schedule. You don't have to post seven times a week, but stay consistent with a posting frequency that works for you. Something that's realistic and realistic to help you meet your recruitment goals. I love that. Um, and you know, just to circle back quickly on your note around including images and and videos into your blog content, right? Uh, one of the best ways to uh, increase your your uh, organic search rankings is based off of how long a user actually spends on your page, um, in right. this case, on a blog post. So if you can like incorporate some student videos or um, even sort of a, like a quick uh, uh, video interview with a faculty within the context of a larger post, um, the chances are, you know, your, your time on page, your average time on page, your average uh, time per session is going to go up on that content because people are watching a video and not just skimming through an article. So I think that that's just a, another sort of quick like hack little takeaway. If you're looking for just one one small thing to kind of move the needle in 2021, maybe even go back to existing content that's already ranking well and throw in a couple of videos. Um, or, you know, go find that those blog pieces that you feel like really should be ranking well and aren't for whatever reason and, and do the same. Um, Matt, uh, I want to talk about LinkedIn conversation ads. So they rolled yes. these out a couple months ago, and um, these were like ads that were in InMail that had something like a, a chatbot functionality where you know the audiences could choose from a list of predetermined options and conversion paths. So at launch, reporting was uh, a little lackluster, but it sounds like LinkedIn has been hard at work. Um, trying to increase the insights and overall performance of these ad types. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what these changes were and why they might be worth revisiting um, as, as an ad type for enrollment marketers to, to be paying attention to? 
You're absolutely right, Zach. So the, the reporting was pretty lackluster on these conversation ads. Um, but now LinkedIn recently announced the launch of flowchart reporting. So this flowchart reporting tool uh, now gives marketers insights into the sort of step-by-step uh, behavior and breakdown of button clicks within your conversation ad. So if you've ever used Google Analytics, you'll notice similarities between its behavior flow tool and LinkedIn's new flowchart tool. And this, this new tool now provides our marketers with insights into where prospective student drop-off might be occurring within that conversation ad. So with this information, you can now pretty much continuously optimize those pathways in those conversation ads that lead to the most clicks and conversions. And I think this will be instrumental in helping higher ed Marcom and enrollment management teams better understand which conversation ad campaigns are performing the best, just because again, you can see exactly what points within sort of the uh, flow of the conversation ad that folks are falling off. Yep, I absolutely love this. And I'm really, really excited to see how these ads end up performing for, for higher ed in particular. Um, Again, I think uh, we, we love you undergraduate people too. Um, but I think that uh, <laughs> another another kind of pointer for, for our graduate enrollment marketers here, um, this is absolutely worth something testing. And if you, again, don't already have significant budget set aside for LinkedIn advertising, um, you should. And a portion of that should be spent in in early 2021 testing out these, these ad types. Um, and then once you test them out, report back to us on how they go. If they totally flop, I'm sorry. Um, but I think that this... <laughs> <laughs> this sort of just ad type in general is is where everything is headed. Um, so, you know, report back, please. Okay, final uh, trend worth talking about um, in this month's uh, episode of Second Look. Um, so over the summer, uh, amid the pandemic, many expected students to sort of flock to community colleges um, to either, you know, start at community colleges or even reverse transfer from four-year institutions in an effort to play it safe and, and save some money. So as the first semester of this, uh, this school year is about to come to a close, what actually ended up happening, Matt? Yeah, so according to a report from the National Student Clearinghouse Research, Research Center, excuse me, transfer enrollment is down 4.7% compared to last fall numbers, last fall being fall of uh, 2019. However, upward transfers, so students moving from two-year colleges to those four-year institutions actually increased, but, but all of those other transfer paths, like reverse transfers and lateral transfers, for example, they, they did decrease this last fall. Um, I think some scholars are explaining this and explaining this increase in upward transfers by noting that four-year institutions are hungrier, I suppose, for students. They're encouraging students to transfer and have been more receptive to transfers this fall just because they've had their own struggles with recruitment. Uh, but community college perceptions may also explain this increase. And I think these perceptions have uh, been around for a while now, but you know, students still think that some community colleges are simply places to take cheap courses and that the ROI just isn't as high as it is at a four-year college. And for that reason, many are eager to transfer after a year or two, even still during this pandemic. Hmm. And enrollment marketers at these community colleges, you know, they, they still have an uphill battle to fight, in my opinion, but they should consider strategies like developing partnerships with local employers to help build higher ROI degree pathways, anything that can help continue to work on the perception of community college. Uh, I think that in combination with hopefully this pandemic leaving us this spring will, will help their numbers next year. 
Yeah, and a last quick point on that. Um, I think all of this is, is super fascinating. And this is definitely a demographic of student that um, is very hard to kind of like pinpoint and pin down. Um, and I feel like there's, there's just always conversations about uh, transfers and all sorts of predictions on what will happen. And I feel like it, more often than not, like the predictions around transfers are just like flat wrong, whether it's, right. you know, two or four year or from a four year or so. Um, and, you know, I, I we, we know from our own experience working with colleges and universities, any sort of transfer student recruitment campaign is is always, um, it is always challenging uh, uh, to put it bluntly. But what I will say, uh, there's this new marketplace uh, that is launching. It's actually launched. Um, I think it's invite only right now, and it's called Unmuddle. And I've been talking to the founders there, and what they are actually trying to do, Matt, is is sort of what you were just alluding to, is they're trying to connect with uh, community college partners and help them sort of unbundle some of their coursework to find, okay, what what are the actual courses where you are as an institution generating the greatest ROI? Where do you have the greatest opportunity to develop new courses? And then what Unmuddle does is they take those individual courses, they put them on their platform, and prospective students can go and buy these like one-off courses. Um, oh, wow. And, and, you know, that money, obviously that I'm sure on model takes a cut. I don't know how exactly how it works, but then the, that revenue goes right back to the community college. And so, you know, you don't have the overhead that can be associated with an actual student. There's no like class capacity, right? Um, right. And, you know, the student can get the one class that he or she might need in order to uh, upskill or, or reskill, whatever it might be. Um, and or, you know, compile a unique resume before they eventually transfer to a more traditional institution. So anyways, if uh, you're a community college, uh, if you work at a community college and you're listening to this, it would be, uh, you know, worth reaching out to the Unmuddle team and, and exploring a possible partnership with them. Anything else, Zach? I think that was it. Well, Matt, today. Yeah, that was that was that was a power. I think that was eleven um, different wow. trends that we reported on. Uh, I'll have to go back and and, and count. Um, but uh, appreciate your time as always, sir. Uh, thank you for being here. And um, we again, I guess we will bid you farewell from from second look um, and in a minute. But if anyone wants to send Matthew a uh, a thank you card. Um, please feel free to contact <laughs> me and, and uh, we'll work that out. But um, thank you, sir, very much for your time as always and chat later. Absolutely. And Zach, just to make sure, even though I'm not being on Second Look anymore, it's still going to continue. Uh, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Second Look is going nowhere. Do not worry, okay. friends. Just want to make worries. sure our listeners knew that. Ma <laughs> Matthew, Matthew is just on to um, bigger and better things within the, the DD family of brands. We just... Uh, we can't afford to suck up this this time um, anymore, unfortunately. But hey, you know, right. maybe we'll bring him back for some guest appearances uh, uh, now and again. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.